We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look here at this text that Charles read to you in uh, Mark, in chapter 6 and verse 30 and following. This is a very interesting text. Trivia question. What's the only miracle that Jesus does uh, out of, I believe, it's, I want to say 35 miracles. Maybe wrong, but I think it's 35 miracles. How many miracles does he do that is in all four Gospels? Only one. And it's the feeding of the 5,000. And it's a miracle, and I think you'll see here why it is in all four Gospels, is that Jesus is not seen in the miracle. That you're going to see the apostles feed a multitude supernaturally by the power of Christ, but no one will see Jesus. All you'll see is them doing the miracle. Uh, they know how the miracle is done. But to the crowd, they're just going to see the disciples going and coming. And there is the power of creation done over loaves and fishes, over the land and the sea, as God is the God of the land and the sea. And so it's part of the training of the 12. Because would you all agree that you can't really train somebody simply by lecture? Lecture won't work. You have to do lab. And so they're about, and we're beginning here, the training of the 12. And we're about to see lecture go to lab. That we're going to get out there and we're going to do this. That's why you don't get your driver's license because you have a test on the rules of driving. You have to go drive. I had a girlfriend in high school named Catherine and she was brilliant. She went on a math scholarship to uh, higher math, to SMU. That's why she was attracted to myself, because we were like this. And she did her driver's test and got kind of excited and ran up on a lawn and killed a cat. <laughs> yeah, they failed her on you can't kill the cat. All right. You hit the cat, but you can't kill the cat. And so she did well in lecture, but she did bad in lab. And so it's one thing for you to learn this stuff, disciples, but here in just a little bit, you're going to have to do this. No one's going to see me. I'm going to ascend to glory, and I'm going to ask you to go feed the multitudes. And you're not going to see me. Here in one uh, miracle later, I'm going to send you out on the sea And I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to be on the mountain watching where you are. And you're going to come into a storm. And I'm going to come to you and pass by you to see if you have graduated in your understanding of me. But no one's going to see me. But I'm going to be there and I see you. And you're going to have to learn this. That even though, Peter, you can be in a jail in Acts 12 between the guards with two doors locked, that I know where you are. Do we have to learn that? That you can't see me, but I see you. And you're going to go to the multitude. I'm not going to go to the multitude. You're going to go to the multitude. And we're going to do this miracle through me, even though nobody can see me. And you're going to trust me. And so this is, you never want to say, Jesus, I want to learn how to swim. All right? Because you're going in the drink. 
right there. You're going to swim or you're going to sink. And that's the way that he teaches us. And so the context is uh, verse 14 down through verse uh, 29. You saw this little interesting intermission with the beginning of the fall of the Roman Empire. You saw what was behind the throne of kings of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee in the stead of Caesar. And you see that he is, was an immoral man, a godless man, a perverse man, and a murderous man against the people of God, easily pushed by the people around him. Is that government? Yes, it is. And so we saw the fall of Rome. And previously in the earlier chapter, we saw the Pharisees conspiring as to how to kill him. And so we have seen the fall of religion, and we have seen the fall of government. And so with that, now you see, uh, once the Greco-Roman Judeo world is collapsing around them, that's where Christ says in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while, and then we are going to work. Because a new world order is about to rise up out of the ashes of Judaism and the ashes of Roman government. And they're not going to need a religion and a Caesar because they're going to have one. Does the church have a particular high priest who is also the king of kings? He is called Jesus and he gives rise and birth to those who are a royal priesthood, that we are self-governed by the grace of God. Tertullian said in his day in the, oh, about the third century AD, he said, check your prisons. They are full of lawbreakers and none of them are Christians. That we are the ideal of your government. If you could have it your way, everybody would look like us. And so, Jesus says now in verse 31, circle up. He says, everybody circle up. We've seen religion go down. We've seen the government go down. And that's the way it's going to be for the next 20 centuries. Was there a world empire as far as in the world of Judeo? Was there a world empire that rose up in the place of Rome? No, there was not. Someday we're going to see the head revived. You ever read Revelation? There's the head, Rome, that's going to come to life again. Someday in the tribulation. But right now, uh, you don't see any world government. So we see here Judaism fall. We see Rome fall. And out of that comes Christianity. And we are going to be the saviors of the world. And so he says, circle up. Remember a fellow named Polycarp that was put to death in the uh, second century. He was a disciple of John the Apostle and they burned him at the stake. And uh, they said when he gathered in front and was told to renounce his faith, they simply said it was Polycarp against the world. And that's what the Christian is. Y'all ever feel that sometimes? Y'all get seeing it? It is us against the world. And so let's take a look here. Lesson one of the training of the 12, verse 32, they're in a boat in a secluded place by themselves. 
Jesus said, let's circle up because we're about to start lab. I've lectured you now for a couple of years. You've watched me for a couple of years. Now you're going to do this. See, the way that you disciple people is uh, you lecture them first, and then you go out on sorties. A salesman takes you out for a sale. I'll, the salesman says, I'll do the work and you watch. And then I'll do the work and you help. And then you'll do the work and I'll help. And then you'll do the work and I'll watch. And then I'll get you a young guy and you do what I did. That's the way you do ministry. And so Christ is going to say, now you're going to work and I'm going to help. And so in verse uh, the lesson one is going to be what is called ministry. You see it in verse 37. You give them something to eat. Not just me, but I'm going to do a miracle and I'm going to do it through you. You're going to, the Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthians, uh, working together with him, we urge you not to receive the, the grace of God in vain. We're working with God. Like Jonathan, they said, he has worked with God this day. We're going to work together and we're going to get this done. If I was God, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have seen Christians saved and said, now sit in a corner and don't tell anybody who you are. But he is pleased to get as much glory out of those he works through as in those who he saves. And so it's like a surgeon doing great surgery with a can opener and a penknife. All right. I'm going to do something through you that's going to be amazing. They said of Paul, he that once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he, which he uh, once sought to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The preacher, not just the message or the converts, but look at that guy preaching. When the angels look down on you, I'll assure you, they look down and go, is that Skip Rigsby? <laughs> the same Skip Rigsby? Yeah, don't, don't talk about it up here in heaven. Yeah, that's the same guy. Great is God. Amen. I'm going to use you for something. Well, in verse 33, uh, the word is out. The people saw them going and recognized them and ran together a foot from the cities and got there ahead of them. There's 5,000 men. Jews numbered their crowds by the men. There's probably 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's as many people that would come watch North Texas in a year. All right. It's a huge number of people. That's Fountz Field filled up. Anybody remember Fountz Field? That's Fountz Field. It's filled up. There's 20,000 people. And the first lesson... I hate, lesson, I hate lists, but I'm going to give you 10 things here. Number one in verse 34, you've got to, number one, see the crowd like Jesus saw them. Before you ever speak a word, you have to see people like Jesus saw them. And in verse 34, he saw a large crowd now the disciples are going to say, verse 36, send the multitude away. <laughs> Get rid of these people. I always enjoy the people that said, I don't like your church because it's too big. Boy, we sure hate people, you know, because <laughs> there's nothing more biblical. 
than hating people. And so, in verse 34, he felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How did Christ see men, the crowd? He sees them like sheep. A sheep is the one animal that is symbiotic on man. Sheep can't exist without humans. All the rest of the animal world can. Even mosquitoes. But a sheep can't make it without a human. That's why in the Garden of Eden, after sin, God kills the sheep. Uh, Abel is a shepherd. It's the, one of the first jobs of the Bible is a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, we have gone astray like sheep have gone astray. A sheep can't make it without a shepherd. Humans can't make it without God. Are y'all convinced of that? Whenever I'll speak at a high school for occasion, I have to convince them of this. You high school kids have the illusion of the mirror. Your skin is still taut. All right. You think that you're going to make it in life without God, but you're not. Humans can't make it. Uh, animals are hardwired. If all the humans are gone, they'll do fine. Humans are not hardwired. We can either be demonic or we can be angelic. We have to have God. And so he sees them and they are like sheep without a shepherd. What happened to the shepherds of Israel? This is a Jewish crowd. The shepherds of Israel, and I'll give you a verse here that is 500 years before Christ. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and I will make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. In other words, the shepherds of Israel were gleaning from the people to line their own pockets. They loved the chief greetings in the synagogues and the marketplaces and the titles of rabbi. Uh, but they had no compassion for the people. And he says, I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. That the leaders of Israel were carving up the people and using them for career aspirations. And then God says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. God's making a prophecy. Someday I'm going to come and I'm going to take my place among my people and I will be the good shepherd. And later on, he's going to say in John, I will have sheep of another fold and I'm going to go get them that they will be one flock with one shepherd. Who are the sheep of another fold? It's you. It's me. And so I'm going to go down among my sheep. And so this is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm coming for my own. Uh, and he says that in verse 34, he looked at them and they are distressed and downcast. Stress 
Can life be that without God? It is stressful. And a cast sheep is one that is so weak that he can't get up. And it's just a matter of time before he becomes brisket. All right. Before the wolf comes. And Jesus said, that's how I see my people. They are weak and they're about to die. Because they have not been fed. They have not been protected. They have not been led. They have not been sheltered and cared for. Like the Pharisees and the priests and the rabbis were supposed to do. They have just been career oriented. And so he felt compassion. You know what the word compassion means? The word, the Greek word for compassion takes the word bowel, splanchnon. And it means that your insides are wrenched when you see something. Y'all ever be sitting around watching TV and see those uh, ASPCA? commercials, the prevention of cruelty to animals. I have to turn it. I can't watch it. It's so painful. Uh, that's why when I go buy dog food, I think I've contributed $73,000 to uh, ASPCA because there's, I can't, I'm a sucker for them. I've never been without a dog since I was like 12 years old. And we always get dogs that are people throw out. I can't bear seeing an animal suffer. I even had a cat one. You ever know that cat dogs just kind of look at you like, hey, hey, what's up? Throw something, someone go get it. A cat, like, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> hey, go fetch this cat, and why do I want to do that? So you can throw it again. Do I look like an idiot? <laughs> Let the idiot dog go chase it. It's a cat. Okay. My son said one time, he said, a cat is the one animal that if he could talk, he wouldn't. That's what he said. Sit up. No. And so, compassion, as a matter of fact, the word in, in uh, Latin, compassion, passion is the term that for pain. Patience is enduring pain. Compassion means with pain that he looked at him and went, oh, it just hurt him to see these humans that had no guidance, no comfort. Humans can't make it without God. And it just hurt him to see this. And that's the way you have to see the crowd. It has to break your heart. One guy said that we should, he was an old missionary, he said you should pray that God, you might break our hearts with the thing that breaks yours. And that's people. And so, if you want a good perusal of how the Bible goes, it goes like this. Adam, when Adam opens his eyes, he sees God. In a theophany, God making himself visible. God, he gets life. And he breathes. And he's like a baby. Whenever you have a child, I'm told. I was always reading Field and Stream. But when Teresa had the baby, she said, yeah, they deliver the baby. They cut the umbilical cord, and then that baby goes, and he sees mama or daddy, if he's there, that's passed out. He's against the wall. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that's the way Adam was. He was, as Luke calls Adam, the son of God. 
He's in his image. And the child awakes, and that's Adam, and he sees God. Question, did Adam now see and understand the universe? Yeah. The universe God made my body. Wow, God made. Why do I have a sense of right and wrong? God made it. I can think God made it. There is Eve. This one's bone of my bone. Wow. He can now, he knows what evil is. He knows what good is. He understands Eve. He understands the garden. He understands his job. Adam was a Yahwistic philosopher. He understood all the particulars in light of the absolute. And that is what a human is supposed to be. Uh, it is said that in the Bible, existence, in a sense, is binary. That it is dual. You have the physical world, and then apart from it, you have God. And he made it. And so you judge everything on the earth in the shadow of God. And that makes life make sense. What Satan does is he tries to have a uniform world with no God. And where you and I become gods as those that can think. And now we have no reference point for anything. That in the day that you eat of it, that you separate from me and try to know good and evil yourself. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. die. You're a dead man when you do that. You don't know what marriage is. You don't know what gender is. You don't know which bathroom to go to. You don't know what money is. You don't know what life is. You don't know what a kid is. You don't know what right and wrong is because you don't have God. And so he sees them and he feels compassion. So you have Adam, then you have the fall where man is now darkened to God. And if he's, he knows he has to have gods. And so what does he do? He makes them out of rock and stone. And they always reflect either a creature of nature or himself, or an attribute like Bacchus, the god of joy, and, uh, you know, Cupid, the god of love, or something like this. You'll always have a god that resembles something finite, but you don't have an infinite. It's paganism. And that's what our world has reverted to right now, is neo-paganism. Have y'all ever heard of the woke movement? The woke movement is, is neo-pagan in its classic form. And so we're, we're just going to assign this guy is guilty, this guy is this, because there's more of this guy than this guy, and so we will oppress that. It is neo-paganism. And so you had the fall, and then you have now who is man's God? It is Satan. And now he is the father of lies. He gives man answers. He's like a child abuser. Hey, you want to get in the van here? I've got a little puppy. You want to put, I got some candy here. You want to say, hey, my mama told me to, and you get the kid in there and you abuse him. And that is what Satan is. He is God's child's abuser. And he glorifies himself in your destruction and your suicide and your misery. And he comes to heaven and God says, where you been? Walking about on my turf walking about among my people. Have you seen him? God said, yeah, you seen my boy Job? You ain't got him. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And so that's how Satan is. He is God's child's abuser. And he glorifies himself by getting you in his van. 
And then you have someone who comes that is the last Adam that is going to be perfect like we couldn't be, die for the sin like we couldn't die, that will now breathe into us again. <sighs> and we wake up again and we're delivered from the silver chair. You ever read Narnia Chronicle? You're delivered from the witch's chair. And now all of a sudden you're alive to God. And now you can pull down speculations and arrogant things raised against the knowledge of God. And you can take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. How about that? And so that's the Spockian view of the Bible. That's the Vulcan view. Okay. All right. And so what does Jesus want to do in verse 34? As a good shepherd, teach them many things. I would have loved to heard that seminar. 20,000 people. He gets them up close. His voice, I don't know how he does it, but it carries. And he starts teaching them all the things about life, all the particulars that they didn't know in the light of the true God. Well, in verse 35, that's how we are. The place is desolate. It's quite late. Some would see that as a picture of the last days. The church age is called the last days. Next thing on the calendar is the tribulation period and the second coming. And the place is desolate and the sun is going down. It's getting darker and darker. Amen. The place is desolate and it's getting darker and darker and darker. First time in my life I have been comforted by the fact that I'm 70 years old and soon to be dead. Skip, are you with me? I'll look at the world and I'll go, good night. Oh, I'll be dead. I'm okay. And so in verse 37, he, they said in 36, send the multitude away. 37, you give them something to eat. Number two, the first one is you got to see the crowd like Jesus saw them. Uh, incidentally, that's why whenever we would do evangelism explosion in our church, my trainer was Jim Hill. Hill, did you make it to church this morning? Okay. And Jim Hill would take me and uh, Linda Clark, Jerry Clark's wife, out to do evangelism explosion. He was a great trainer. He'd go, hey, I'm Jim. Tom, take over right here and just share the gospel. Thank you, Jim. And I always knew it's nervous to go up to a door and knock on a door. But I always was comforted by knowing that if we got to talk to people, once we got behind the door and started talking about life, I was going to find pain. I was going to find hurting men and frightened women and uh, radical children and pain and fear and doubt. And I was going to say, man, this is your lucky day because we got a savior here. And so if you can just get in behind people's in their minds and start gaining the confidence that they can be open with you, you're going to find pain. Well, number two in verse 37 is you have a command. You give them something to eat, meaning I teach them many things. The symbolism is obvious. Now you're going to feed them. I'm going to give you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the New Testament epistles about me and the Old Testament that precedes me that you're enlightened to through Christ. And now I'm going to put you to work. It's called the Great Commission. All authority is given to me and I am with you. Go 
and you baptize men and then you make disciples and you teach them all that I commanded you. Thought being, what you have heard and obeyed, you teach them and let them hear and obey. You pass it on. And so you will now teach them many things. The greatest counsel I ever got in my young life was my, uh, I think it was a navigator. And he said to me, he said, as a young man, we're always wondering about God's will for your life. And generally we're thinking that means your job and your wife. He said, don't worry about that. He said, you need not to ask what is God's will for your life. You need to ask what is God's will. The will of God is Christ. He said, you arm yourself with the gospel. Learn the truth, obey the truth, and then let God lead you. But you need to get the main thing as the main thing. God has left you here, not just to have fun and make money. He has left you here and converted you for the great commission. And so you've got to get the command. I am here for God. That's my purpose. Amen. That's why we're here. Anything less is infinitely less and it's boring because in time it's going to get old. Vanity, vanity. We're here for the excitement of knowing God and making him known. Make all the money you can honestly within the task that you have and enjoy it. But that's not your ultimate purpose. Okay, your purpose is the gospel. And now we go to number three. And that is our response. Uh, in verse 37, shall we go and spend 200 denarii? That's like, uh, a denarii is a day's wage. That's like seven months of work. Shall we spend 200 denarii, which is probably what they have in the till, and give them something to eat? Our first response is to look to ourselves and then to come up with, I can't do this. There's a little interesting note in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. Jesus, they say, 200 denarii. Shall we go get 200 denarii? And Jesus turns to Philip, who is from Bethsaida, that is a fishing town there on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, Philip, where shall we find 200 denarii worth of fish? Will that feed them? And Philip said, that is not enough for even a little Philip said, you can forget that. And so our first response is to look at ourselves and to say, I can't do this. And that's okay. And so if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. The word nothing in Greek is nothing. You will not get a word out of your mouth if it's just you. But I can do this. And so don't look at yourself and say, I can't do this. Because Jesus said, I never thought you could. That's why I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. In verse 4, here is, no, or rather verse 38, here is number 4. How many loaves do you have? Go look. Write down the word evaluation. You've heard the command of God. You've seen your impotence to do anything. But now look at what you do have. 
what God has blessed you with. If you come to join the church, you'll go through uh, our church life and one of our ladies, Penny Wooten, will sit down with you and talk with you about you. Who are you? How old are you? What have you been trained in? What is your spiritual gift? If I push your button, how do you want to act? Jerry Falbo is an administrator. He will take your money, okay? And he will rearrange it and he'll show you how to use your money. Uh, I like to try to take complicated things and try to make them simple. That's just what blessed me. Um, Kendall, Kendall's an organizer. He really is. Kendall gets more done than anybody with the time he has. He is a great organizer. Uh, my wife is an administrator. She takes over your life. <laughs> that is her gift. Okay. Some people are servants. They want to do physical things. Wayne Kerrigan in our church that runs the sweat teams. He wants to go fix your car. Other people are, they have the gift of mercy. They don't want to do physical things. They want to listen to your troubles in life. They're counselors. They can carry an emotional load for months that I couldn't carry for an hour, but they can do it. Uh, some people are prophetic. They can point out your sin. They're very lonely people. <laughs> and so you've got to know who you are. What have been your failures? Your failures are your pulpits. God comforts us in all our affliction that we might be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. What have y'all gone through? You lost a mate? You gone through a divorce? Have you raised a teenager? What kind of teenager? It don't matter. Uh, that you have buried a parent? That you have had a, an accident that caused this to happen? That your job got pulled out? That God took you through? You've got a message now. And so we just need to take the stew that is your life and add Christ. And let's see what kind of message you got that you're going to serve up. So you look at yourself. And then the next thing is, uh, number five is in verse 39. They look in verse 38 and they say five and two fish. What's five plus two? Seven. And that's the number of completeness. And so I've got all I need. These loaves and fishes, they're not French bread. They're barley loaves. It's granola. It's barley that you squeeze together with a compost and you've got granola. And so you've got five granola bars that you give to a little kid. The word here for fish in one of the gospels is not the word ichthus, fish. It is the word iscarion, sardine, that you take with your tasteless barley to give it a little taste. It's mustard. And so this is something a kid had wrapped up in a napkin. So we're talking about five granola bars and a couple of goldfish. Okay, that's what you got. And that's all you are. And so, five and two fish. Uh, incidentally, where do they get the... Anybody remember where you get the meal from? It's a little kid, little boy. 
Psalm 8, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast established strength. I'm going to take it from the mouth of a child. What do you have to be like to get into heaven? What do you have to be to serve God like a child? You've got to trust me. That's all. You trust me. Okay. And so the next thing that you do is in verse 39, you step out in faith. He commanded them to all sit down by groups on the green grass. Y'all seat the multitude for what? A banquet setting, groups of fifties and hundreds. They haven't seen the miracle yet. Everybody circle up. Let's all sit down. Why? We're about to have lunch. What with? I'll get back with you. I don't know. You've got to step out before you see anything. I'm not going to get a mountain of fish and let you go do it. That requires no faith. You go seek the multitude. You step out. This is the synapse. When you go from you to God and you've got to be like Abraham, you go forth not knowing where you're going. You step out. Uh, you have to put yourself in a position demanding the necessity of divine intervention, but you've got to step out. You've got to, maybe it's signing up for a 2-7 where you're going to have to pray in front of God and everybody. Maybe it's being in a mentoring program or I as a woman are going to take a younger woman and I'm going to tell them about what I know and what God has done with me. And that's scary. Maybe it's vision ministry. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing and I got to do anything else, I'd go over to vision ministry and help them fold clothes. And anybody that came in, you immediately have the gospel to share with them. Once you help them physically, now I can talk to you about something else. That's all I do is just share the gospel. Tell you what else I'd do if I had the time. I'd go be one of the guys that greet you at the door. Because when you walk in a door in a big old place, you're kind of unnerved. And when you got somebody that says, hey, good to see you. I'm Tom. Come, let me introduce you. Gordon, come here. G Nasty, come over here. I want you to meet Gordon Nickel right here. Okay. I just, this is where your kids go. They go home saying, that's the most loving church I've ever been in. They don't know all the bad people that we have. <laughs> they just met you. Okay. So that's what I do. Professor Hendricks once said to us at the seminary, he said, what are y'all doing right now that demands the necessity of an, of an omnipotent being? Are you living on the edge? What are you doing that demands the necessity of an omnipotent being? Moses fed Israel bread in the wilderness. Elijah fed the widow of Zarephath bread. The church now feeds bread. We are the feeders of the world. Amen. We can teach. Can you go through a college education and still go through life as an idiot? Don't call out your alma mater right here. But yes, you can. On, they can't teach what we teach. Nobody can do what we do. I one time had a kid that was going to go on the Young Guns program. His father was a big higher up in Dallas business. His mother was the same way. This boy stepped away from a, a career as a surgeon to take time off and come learn Bible. The parents were unnerved. They met with me over the place. Y'all remember Ellington's? We met at Ellington's. And I, they said, what would you do if your son stopped his higher education career to come just study Bible for, it, for a, a, a nine months? I'll be honest with you. I said, if my son did, I'd go get drunk. <laughs> Out of pure joy. <laughs> Don't email me. I wouldn't have done that. 
I said, listen to me, friend, because he was only a couple of years older than me. I said, if your kid learns everything you or Texas Tech can teach him, your kid's going to be a failure. If your kid only learns what I teach him, he's going to be the joy of your life. And Texas Tech can't teach him what I'm about to teach him. But his life is going to go here or there upon what I teach him about God. So you better get him in my program. And so you step out in faith. I remember the first time I spoke to a big crowd in Louisville, Texas. And I told you I was sitting on the, on the risers and they introduced Tom Nelson. I'd like, I'd like to have you have me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Worst place in the world to speak is in a high school gymnasium. Tom, 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 Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. Why are we clapping? I don't know. And I remember walking out there and seeing that, I think I told you this, a microphone on a gym floor at the free throw line, surrounded by kids. The microphone looks just like a gallows. <laughs> it hangs down just like this, like you're about to be lynched. Okay. And I remember walking up to it and all the time thinking, God, you better show up. God, you better show up. God, you better show up. I started speaking and my voice broke. It's good to be here. <laughs> And I just ran right to the gospel quick as I could. And the room went dead silent. They had never heard somebody in front of God and everybody talking about Jesus. The next thing that you do is in verse 41. He took the five loaves and the two fish. You bring them to Christ. Don't you take what you have and go to the multitude. You're going to feed the first portly Jew you face, and he'll eat your lunch. You give what you have to Christ. You go to Christ and say, God, you do a magic right here on what I have. Otherwise, you do it yourself. He takes those loaves, those granola bars. If you got five granola bars and you break them, now you have 10 little bitty snicker bites. Then you take two sardines. Anybody here a painter? I want to give you a painting you can do and you can make some money. I'll take 20%. All right, just for the idea. Give me a painting of Jesus taking five snicker bites or 10 of them and putting them into these guys' hands and then taking two sardines. Five doubled is 10. Two more, you got 12 disciples. And then Jesus looks up to heaven in verse 41 and he blesses them. God bless these snicker bites. And we've got God Fouts Field out here, but we're going to feed him. And give me a picture of Christ praying, all right, and the disciples standing around him as to their 12 different postures. Maybe James and John are just looking at each other. One of them's looking at Jesus. Thomas is doing this. Jude Thaddeus is looking at the crowd. You just wonder what that crowd of men would have looked like. Thank you, God, for the food that we're about to receive. And I just pray that we could find the baskets to gather up the leftovers, God, because there's going to be a bunch of them. Is this exploding fish? Uh -huh. Verse 41. After you give it to Christ, then he blessed the food and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. Start. That's number seven. You got to start 
you got to take the little that you have. And what do you do with it? You go to the first guy in the front row. Here. Thank you. Chew it slow. So you have to start where you are. We're not asking you to be Billy Graham yet. You just start with what you've got. Number eight, he kept giving them. It's in the imperfect. It didn't just happen once. He didn't give them all a front-end loader of bread. You take your food, you turn your back on Christ, and then you go to the crowd, and you give away what you have. Question, what do you do then? You go back to Jesus. Hello. He doesn't, how'd you do that? Uh, you don't need to worry about that. Then what do you do? Go to the crowd. Now you got a little more. Then what do I do? Go back. You begin a process. He kept giving. Every time before I speak, it's me and God alone. And I see Doug Barber. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. I see all of you and I pray that God would do something with this that we can't do. And that's what you do is you come to God and keep coming to God. And then the uh, ninth thing, verse 42, they ate and were satisfied. And now you've got a problem with leftovers. The ninth thing is you watch a miracle happen. You stand by and you shake your head and say, I cannot believe what God did. He will do, Ephesians 3.20, exceeding abundant beyond what we ask or even think. Y'all ever done this? I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you to trust him. Folks, this is what it means to know God. It's when you take truth and you take action and you step into a place that demands an omnipotent being and you discover it. And that's when you come to know God. He that has my word and keeps it. He it is that loves me. And he will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And I will disclose myself to him. You discover God. Michelle, have you had fun doing the uh, uh, career transition ministry? How many people have y'all had? You and Dick Welday and Chris. Huh? Over a thousand. Has that been a blessing? You just, Michelle and Chris Van it's a Dutch name, I can't remember. And Dick uh, Welding, they take people that are in transition, that have lost a job trying to get a job, and they just help them. And they've been there. And you get blessed. Look what God did. That's learning about who God is. And in verse 44, write this down. You eat last. You eat last. What kind of person is it that goes to the chef, goes to the people, and then eats after hours? What do you call that person? He's a servant. Let a man regard us in this man, manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Where are you going to start? Where are you going to start? Think about it, but you're going to have to launch out before you see anything. God will show himself to you. You know, when I was, grew up in Waco, Texas, I had a guy live next door to me. 
named Ralph Smith. And he worked for a place called Word Records. Y'all ever heard of that? Uh-huh. It was early Word Records on Franklin Avenue in Waco. He's a Christian guy. And he gave our family an album. Y'all remember albums? Record players? And uh, it was about children of the Bible. And it was a big bunch of stories told by some guy. His name was like Uncle Ray or something like that. And he kind of had a Burl Ives voice. Is anybody with me? Kind of Burl Ives. Hey, kids. I'm going to tell you the day. And he would talk about kids in the Bible. I'm going to tell you the day about the story of the boy that ran from God. His name was Jonah. I'm going to tell you today about the little boy that went into the lion's den before he would be told not to pray. I'm going to tell you the story of the little Hebrew boys who got thrown in the fiery furnace because he wouldn't bow. I'm going to tell you about a girl that followed after her mother-in-law when her husband died named Ruth. I remember I'm going to tell you about the little girl whose master had leprosy and said, you know, if he was with my, the prophet, he could heal it. And then he told one of them that was called, I'm going to tell you the story of the little boy that gave Jesus his lunch. And that was the one I remember the most. And you know what? Before he would do a story, you would always have a little piano introduce it. And he would go, Hello, boys and girls. This is your old Uncle Ray. Every one of them began that way. And the one I remember the most was a little boy that gave his food to Jesus. And do you know what? Ever since then, whenever I get to a place where I am demanding the necessity of divine intervention, to this day, that tune comes back to me. When I was in Louisville High School looking at the gallows, <laughs> I remember walking out there. Everybody thought I was praying. I was going, whenever you see me come walking up here sometimes, you'll hear me. Hello. Can you hum that tune? If you can hum that tune, God can use you. All he wants is all you got. That's all. And we'll do a miracle. Father in heaven, what a simple story. Moses and the law fed the people. Elijah and the prophets fed the people. And now Jesus and the church are going to go to a Greco-Roman Judeo culture that has collapsed from Caesar on, from, from uh, the Pharisees on. It has collapsed. And men don't know anything about God, and they don't know anything about Caesar. They're in the dark. They've either got a false prophet or a beast consuming them. And here we are. Circle up. Look at them. See them. Look at your own impotence. Look at my sufficiency. Give me what you got. Let me look to heaven and break it. And then you start small and you just keep coming back. And there will be fragments because they're going to eat until they can eat no more. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Amen.